Welcome to the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast, where the principles of person-centered care come alive. This month, we take a look at how climate change impacts our health. Eric Sorensen, a former weather anchor and current climate communicator, joins Ann Garten for this discussion. Welcome to the Institute for Person-Centered Care. I'm Ann Garten, your host and director of the Institute and nursing faculty here at St. Ambrose. Today, I'm excited to introduce Eric Sorensen. Many of our community members will already know him, but I'm gonna give him a chance to introduce himself and share a little bit about himself. Thank you for inviting me, Ann. Um, I just uh, finished a stint as a broadcast meteorologist. I spent 22 years um, um, talking about how the weather is affecting everyone's uh, days and weeks and months and years. And um, after working uh, for 11 years in my hometown of Rockford, Illinois, and seven years here in the Quad Cities, um, it's time to go on to a new thing. And so now I'm focusing on um, the communication of climate change and weather and how it affects health. So I am honored to be here today. Thank you. We're honored to have you. And that is why I invited you, right? Great. We want to better understand how climate change impacts health and population health when we look about person-centered care. We need our, our uh, health care providers to better understand the things that are going to happen in populations so we can better care for them, right? And so uh, a, a few things. That I'm going to let you start. What are we seeing in climate change? And, and I will, of course, then add the pieces of the puzzle with the medical side, right? Yeah. One of the things that we need to pay attention to is climate change isn't just a polar bear. Um, we seem to think that the polar bear is the poster of climate change. And and while that is part of it, um, we have to understand that climate change is having an effect already on our daily lives. It's having an effect on our pocketbooks, um, how much we pay for things. It's not all pandemic related right now. A lot of this is climate change related. And when we talk about a warming climate, it's not just the heat. It's the energy that we have of, of different storms. It's the wildfires. So we don't yet know, for instance, just one part of this, the wildfires that are going on out to the West. This is the two years. Um, it used to be that there was a wildfire season in California, and now wildfires can happen at any time. So how does that influx of smoke that goes into the atmosphere affect us even here into the Midwest? And this summer, we have seen that smoke go all the way over to the East Coast. We have to figure out what health um, uh, challenges that we're going to have based on all of the things that climate change is going to bring us. Indeed. And I think it's important for us all to understand it's evolving science, mm -hmm. right? Sure. So we're going to be looking at the data of our populations, and, and we already know some of it. It's, some of this is not yeah. new science, right? Uh, a lot of it's not necessarily new science. But the fact that when we see floods in Tennessee increasing, right, sure. then we see those things that might happen around mold and and asthma, you know, the fires you talk about with asthma and cardiovascular disease. I saw a piece the other day about um, out west and the heat increasing, and our elderly population who live out west don't necessarily have air conditioning. They didn't need it. And now they're going into homeless shelters, even though they're not homeless, because they need the air conditioning to better support their COPD. 
right? And if we don't ask about those questions about where you live and what's happening and understanding those impacts, then we're really not understanding how we can better take care as well in that public health piece, as well as in that medical model, uh, um, acute care, uh, primary care. And so you, you bring that up as a great example. Also, another example of how climate change is immediately having an effect is you look at the drought that's going on out to the West and how um, Lake Mead and Lake Powell um, on the Colorado River are, there's very little water, um, yet we have a, um, a hugely growing population in Phoenix and Los Vegas and Southern California. Um, all of these people are going to need water. We need water because of all of the fields out by Yuma, Arizona, before the water mm-hmm. leaves Mexico. And also, we've got an agreement with Mexico that we're going to give them water to use as well. So as this dries up, we look at what are the solutions. And the solutions are going to cost us money, and they're going to cost us in our health care, too. Indeed. You know, in that piece, when you think about the drought, we don't tend to always think about nutrition. But it imp- mm-hmm. it's impacted by drought. Sure. And if we don't have good nutrition, we don't have good health, right? Um, so I love that you pulled in in our own neighborhoods, right? Our corn and our soybeans, just yes. uh, down a mile down the road, how those things are going to be impacted. You did a great example, too, when we talked earlier about the West End and, um, mm-hmm. and the floods. You want to share a little bit? Yeah. So in 2019, of course, the Mississippi River um, breached the levees in downtown Davenport. We saw the high level of the Mississippi River that we have ever seen. Um, To many Davenporters and Quad Citizens, um, this isn't a new thing. Um, We have seen similar scenes of what's happened, right? Six of our top 10 floods have happened since 1993. They're happening with more frequency. And the science is there to say that this is an effect of climate change. So now when we look at who is affected immediately, by the flood. We look at our maps and we see where the flood water goes. And we have a lot of folks that live, families and, and multi-generational families that live in the west end of Davenport, Iowa, that um, are affected by it every time it floods. And I met a woman shortly after the flood, and um, she spoke of um, the first part of the flood um, made, it flooded her basement. And so she lost her hot water heater. Okay, then the flood receded, and she said, you know, you really need hot water in order to survive. So she went and got another hot water heater. She put it into the basement, had it installed, and then the flood came bigger just a week later. So she lost one. She lost two hot water heaters, and she'd have to buy a third. Right. Well, she lives on the west end of Davenport. I bet she didn't budget for that. Right. And so we have to think about who is affected by these floods. So when we look forward into the future, how are we going to mitigate it? How are we going to adapt to it? Um, we have to make sure that those folks are incorporated into that plan. And I think that's the important piece, because if she shows up in the emergency room, and I'll be honest with you, I'm middle class, and I didn't budget for two water heaters yep. in a year, right? And my husband's who's diabetic, and maybe he drops a vial, and now I got to choose of, do I buy my medicine or do I buy a hot water heater? Right, and we don't. We're not always good at asking the questions in healthcare of, of their environments. So she, you know, when we were talking about that, I went to asthma, COPD, mm-hmm. yeah. cardiovascular issues, mold, all the things that are caused, you know, in that. And that's just one individual, and we have to look at it as as an entire population. Thankfully, we have public health who helps do, us do that. But I think even in our government leadership and what have you. 
how do we help them economically? How do we help them, you know, um, move to another area if we need to, or better support that area that's being Im impacted mostly? And we even talked a little bit about that and the the cultural wants of wanting to stay in that neighborhood. Sure. Maybe she stayed in that house all her life, right? So then we we see those impacts as well. Yeah, I've got I've got friends who live in <clears throat> in West Davenport, and um, they're great great grandparents. In fact, uh, on uh, my friend Bobby's wall, he's got a picture of his I think great grandmother's house, and it was where the Centennial Bridge is today. And he's like, I'm never going to leave this neighborhood. This is my family's neighborhood, right. right? But what do we need to do in the future so that when we increase the frequency of these floods, that um, it is not going to negatively impact them more and more? And I think to add to that is that some people do have to move. So we see an increase in migration globally. And that is a lot to do with drought and flooding and sea level you know, rise. Right. All of those things. So for us in healthcare, we then have to also uh, make sure that we understand cultural empathy as well as all of the things that those individuals or populations may have been impacted by whether it was uh, infectious disease, right? Those, those vectors that may, may be uh, exposed to, or um, mental stress. I mean, that for any of us would be very stressful. So how does that impact? And we know that stress over generations impacts some of our genetics and, and things like that. And I don't want to change the subject, yeah, but no. when you talk about stress and mental health care, I can't help but think of, uh, for instance, family farmers. Uh, family farmers who are dealt with these 10-inch rains in a, a matter of a couple of hours um, and the droughts and, um, and the pests that occur more frequently with climate change. And it's we don't think about it because when you talk about a fifth-generation farmer, it's not that they can just quit their job and do something else. They're quitting the livelihood of five generations. And for a lot of these farmers, it's not just quitting their jobs or quitting farming it's quitting their life. And we're seeing too many suicides of family farmers, and it is directly caused by the challenges of climate change. Indeed, we've done some studies on that, uh, or supports, I should say, on, on that, uh, and know that uh, organizations like OSF are, mm -hmm. are we have apps out to assist our farmers in, in their need through their mental health challenges. And it's great. OSF is in many of the rural communities, too, and Correct. it's right there where the people need it. Indeed. Indeed. I think the other piece, what I want to focus a little bit on, is how can we help, as a, as a community, do some mitigation? So what mm -hmm. would you share with that? Um, and that's the question I get asked a lot. So what do we do? Um, and as a climate communicator and someone who has been on television, it's been, um, I've had to have a fine line, all right, because I need to make sure that I'm giving people the science without making this a political issue, because it is a political issue and it is turned into one. Um, but as a scientist, what I'm trying to do is say, here's the science, here's what's going on, and it's up to you to make change. Um, and this becomes a political issue when you believe you need to call your senator, your representative, or your uh, mayor, okay? That's when it becomes political. So what can we do? Not only can we change where we go at the ballot box, if that's what you decide to do, but each person, I believe, individually needs to make steps to move forward. And I think moving forward is an important thing because um, in its baby steps, um, for instance, I use laundry strips. I don't buy my Tide, you know, big orange jug of Tide anymore because that Tide 
probably isn't getting recycled when I put it into the blue bin. And it weighs a lot. Anything that weighs a lot takes a lot of energy to transport it. That energy is a fossil fuel, okay? Um, and then if I go and use the hot wash cycle, I am using natural gas in my hot water heater to heat up the water that I'm using to do my clothes. So I use laundry strips, okay? It's it's actually very, right. you know, environmentally friendly. Yep. I don't reuse Ziploc bags anymore. Yeah. I buy the reusable ones and I wash them. Um, and so for me, um, it is making these little steps, okay? So I make this little step, I adapt to it, right? And then I look and say, all right, what's the next thing that I can do? Indeed. Okay, so so that's where I am personally as a, as a climate communicator. And somebody, I don't want this on my conscience, that I didn't do anything back when I knew better. Right. Yeah, we shared, I shared with you the other day that I um, ha- have a truck. Mm-hmm. It's it's a beast, right? <laughs> but I try and walk to work on the days that I can walk or cycle to work. And then some days, this morning, I'll admit it was pouring rain and I decided sure. to use the truck. But to find those small things that I can uh, increase on in small bits so that I can manage that. And you said you live close to work. And right. that is a very important thing. It's okay to drive a truck if you're going to commute to work and you're only a mile or two. Right. All right. So it's if you were driving... 30 miles um, to work and back and you did not have a hybrid or you weren't doing other things to subsidize the cost of Right. That, that piece, indeed. And I think for those of our listeners who may be students, I came up with a great uh, example of how they can start thinking outside the box, right? So our engineer students, what a great opportunity for them to start thinking about how to build designs that reduce energy demand. My husband ends up traveling some for work and you go to Japan and all the lights turn off as soon as you walk out the door. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, when you have to buy a new toilet, maybe it's going for that energy efficient toilet Things of that nature, I and, think. And each one of those, and is a step forward. Right. All right. So if you do one of those things and you buy an Energy Star appliance, um, all of these things are steps forward. So we need to just make sure that we are moving forward. Forward. Indeed. I think, too, I want to add for our healthcare providers is to also start thinking about disease prevention, right? Mm-hmm. So some of this is just going to happen and evolve, and, and we're going to have to start thinking outside the box and be scientists and know that infectious disease is going to increase. So how are we going to work on our communication so that we can help our community stay healthy when things like that happen? And one easy way to think about that is um, as our winters, especially here in the upper Midwest, our winters are warming faster than our summers are. So that means that, um, for instance, mosquitoes, um, they're going to be around longer in the fall and earlier in the spring. So that's going to cause more problems um, in Lyme disease, that sort of thing. Uh, My sister, has been dealing with that for many years because that's something that doesn't go away. And we know that that prevalence of Lyme disease is going to go up as we continue to um, change the climate. Indeed. I think the last piece, what I wanted to do is is talk about our specifics to our region so that people understand who is probably most impacted. Because I'll be honest, in my house in in Davenport, I don't feel some of those changes or needs for changes, right? Um, And uh, But what we do is we forget about our community members who may be more impacted by that. We talked a little bit about those who are in the flood zone, but I think we also have to remember about our elderly. They're on a fixed income. So when we talk about supply and demand, it's going to impact them for sure, right? Our low socioeconomic peeps. And and one thing 
that we've got to take into consideration is that um, if you make $15,000 a year, 15000 okay, that's $7.50 an hour. If you make more than that, you are considered rich by a world standard. Okay, so we have to understand also that it is the rich nations of the world that are causing this problem and it is generally the poorer nations and the poorer people that are going to have to deal with this. So somebody on a fixed income doesn't have the money that they can put aside to deal with an increasing health problem in the future. And so like you know, me being middle-aged, I'm looking ahead and I'm going to have to budget for climate change. And it's something that nobody is thinking about. Indeed, indeed. And I think the other piece we, um, for our healthcare providers is those that are chronically ill as well. So those people, when they have the additional diseases that have, are now being added to their diabetes, you know, or whatever other chronic disease they might have, then it's those added costs. So how can we talk to them and, and assess them about where is it that you're living and making sure that we get them connected to the right services in our community? Because maybe they do have too much mold or lead or things of that nature in our in, sure. in their homes or community areas that we can be impactful on. And that's where we have to also look at the guidance uh, within our communities too. Um, we need to make sure that um, our cities, our county, and our state governments are doing the right thing to help those that are uh, immediately affected. Because, you know, that is true that we, you know, we adapt, you know, you may not realize when something, you know, goes up in the grocery store, you know, when um, the price of meat maybe goes up 20 cents, right? Um, and we may not think about analyzing why did that go up, right? right. Um, but we just deal with it. Right. But there are some people that just can't deal with it. And they're generally the people that are on a fixed income. And so then you look, all right, so what becomes the cheapest food source? All right. So the cheapest food source probably isn't the most nutritious. Right. As climate change increases, we're going to have a harder time and, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables are going to cost more. more. Yep. And so then we look at where the problem of, um, you know, even obesity, um, where that is going to become a bigger problem in the future. And it is linked to climate change. It's not the polar bear. Right. It's not just the polar bear. Indeed. Uh, electricity costs, you know, that's another one that's a, a great example. We, you and I, it'll hit our pocketbooks, but again, for that uh, social economic vulnerable population, it'll really hit their pocketbooks. Any closing thoughts, words that you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, I think um, it's one of those things where we have to um, be very careful where we're getting information these days. Um, and I want people to understand that Climate change is about discovery, all right? Um, and so for me personally, as a climate communicator, I wasn't always um, a climate communicator. I wasn't always convinced um, that we were seeing a change or that humans were causing it. But the discovery made me change my mind. And so I think it's okay if we're doing a self-assessment to be able to change our mind when science brings us a new discovery. I think to add to that, because some of our listeners might, might not believe or see the science on that humans are causing it. And even if we aren't, if, if, that's, if that science comes out someday in that, we can still make impactful things to help decrease that because it will impact humans uh, overall, right? And if there are people out there that still have not made a change or still won't make a change, 
that's okay. Yeah. All right. But it's up to the rest of us to start the movement, to move forward, and then everybody can get on um, so that we can move forward. I don't think we all need to right away, um, but the time certainly is ticking for us to make some uh, big, uh, big movement forward. Indeed. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, to our listeners, thanks millions for joining us as well. Audio production for the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast is provided by KALA-FM Studios in Davenport, Iowa. The show is engineered by Dave Baker and edited by Shelby Lebo. It is produced by Ann Garten, Director of the Institute for Person-Centered Care and Nursing Faculty at St. Ambrose University.